Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, August 11th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the House overrides a budget bill veto, and the governor weighs in on President Trump's executive order on unemployment benefits. Then, over 97,000 pediatric cases of COVID-19 were reported during the second half of July. We examine the factors of pediatric transmission. Plus, President Trump issued a series of executive orders over the weekend, including a payroll tax deferment. But how constitutional are they? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi legislators are making their voices heard by overriding Governor Tate Reeves' veto of an education budget bill. Reeves said he vetoed parts of the bill because it changed the teacher pay bonus program. House Republican Richard Bennett of Long Beach chairs the Education Committee. He addressed the issue in the House chamber. This could have been taken care of just like the teacher pay raise was last year. I had put out a statement right after, and that's all we had to do. We could have come back in January and, uh, and done it, but hopefully we will do it before we leave here since we're in session. We will do it now. Thank you. The House voted 109 to 7 in favor of the bill. The Senate likewise voted by a two-thirds margin to override the veto. Governor Reeves responded to the lawmakers' action yesterday during a press briefing. There's no doubt that uh, there are are those in the House that think that they can get a pound of flesh uh, from me. It's it's all personal uh, because of some uh, perceived advantage that that I was able to get on conservative legislation in the last eight years. I'm not at all surprised uh, that they did that. Um, But here's here's the the point that people need to to look towards um, is are the 23,157 teachers going to get paid or not? Uh, If the 23,157 teachers that are due $29 million uh, get their additional money, then it will be a huge victory uh, for the state of Mississippi. Uh, if individual members of the House want to punch me in the face, if they want to stab me in the back, that's fine as long as those teachers get the money. 
Legislators plan to consider a separate bill in January to fund the school recognition program. Lawmakers are also working on setting a budget for the State Department of Marine Resources. All of this comes after a month-long hiatus following an outbreak of COVID-19 in the Capitol that resulted in over 40 Capitol personnel, including legislative leadership, contracting the disease. State officials say mask mandates are slowing the spread of the coronavirus in Mississippi for the second consecutive day. The Department of Health reported under 600 new cases of COVID, and the seven-day rolling average of new cases is on the decline. Governor Reeves says this is good news, but Mississippians need to sustain their efforts in slowing the spread of the virus. Your efforts are working. What you are doing back home is making a tremendous difference. Um, Now is the time for us to continue. Now is the time for us to push the gas pedal even harder but every time you've worn a mask every single time you've chosen to skip a party everything you've done every sacrifice that you have made and every smart decision you've made has been helping in fact it has made a difference and our numbers certainly bear that out State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says hospital data is starting to plateau in some areas and urges residents to keep the strain off the health care system. We have seen stabilization in the number of hospitalizations with a, a mild sort of steady increase in ICU stays and ventilator utilization. And that certainly makes sense because we know it takes a while for people to get sick and then require ICU care. Still a lot of stress on the healthcare system. The best thing we can do is not get sick so that we don't get ill, but also don't stress out the healthcare system for others who need it not only for coronavirus, but for other uh, severe life-threatening illnesses. As mitigation efforts continue, attention is also on the widespread unemployment caused by the pandemic. While the numbers have improved slightly in recent months, many Mississippians are still jobless. Exacerbating that condition is the expiration of the $600 federal supplement of unemployment benefits. With Congress deadlocked on a solution, President Trump issued an executive order under the Stafford Act to provide continued assistance. But as Reeves explains, the added benefit could put undue strain on the state's unemployment security fund. If Mississippi were to opt in to this particular um, opportunity that the president signed over the weekend, uh, the benefit would be cut from 600 a week to 400 a week, uh, still uh, approximately 16 times more than what was paid in the 08-09 financial crisis. But if you consider that uh, that 600 to $400 cut would cost in aggregate between 83.5 and $93.25 million per year, Mississippi's 25%, because it's going to be going through the, the Stafford Act, would cost us between 21 and $23 million per week. Our normal state unemployment benefits, just for your reference, currently cost us $22 million last week. And so this additional um, $100 would be an approximate doubling of what the Uh, unemployment trust fund would have to bear um, almost immediately. If we spent $22 million a week out of the trust fund plus $21 to $23 million, that'd be $44 million on average per week. We currently have $480 million in the fund. That's 10 weeks worth of payments. 10 weeks. Reeves says his office is weighing the option to participate in the extension program. 
we have not made a decision yet if we will participate in the um, in the enhanced unemployment benefits. Keep him remember the first time the Congress enhanced the benefits, they did so by paying a hundred percent of the cost, and that's the reason that the Congress needs to act because if Congress wants to uh, increase benefits under the federal pandemic un unemployment assistance program, the FPUA program, then they need to pay 100% of the benefits. And that way it wouldn't put stress and undue stress on our trust fund. Coming up, over 97,000 pediatric cases of COVID-19 were reported during the second half of July. We examine the factors of pediatric transmission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Slowly we started, you know, picking these turtles up and saving them. I'll stop traffic, grab one out of the road. And then our friends found out and our vet would call us. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We are now a full-fledged, nonprofit turtle rescue. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. More Mississippi students are returning to school this week on the heels of record coronavirus transmission rates in July. In the northeast city of Corinth, where on-campus learning began last month, three more individuals tested positive for COVID-19 yesterday. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says schools are seeing transmission of the virus in their learning communities. We have uh, 22 uh, different schools reporting cases of coronavirus so far. Again, not a surprise because we know coronavirus exists pretty uh, widespread in every community right now. We've had uh, 19 cases identified among students and 15 among employees for a total of 34 cases thus far identified in schools. We will plan as we get aggregate data to release it on the website with additional data you know, for each county so that you all can have that information to follow. Nationwide, over 97,000 pediatric cases were reported in the second half of July, setting the stage for an uncertain fall semester as school administrators plan for the pandemic. Dr. John Godet is the president of the Mississippi chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Pediatrics. He discusses the rapid increase in pediatric cases and the factors that lead to transmission in older children. What they found was looking at children under 18, uh, in the month of July, uh, the numbers of cases of positive tests for coronavirus in children increased. It was actually a 40% increase in child cases. Why would that be the case? Well, um, so this is, I'm, I'm going to need to be speculating here because I don't really know. All we're looking at is the numbers, uh, and it would appear to be uh and, and you've got to keep in mind, when you look at Mississippi, our cases have been increasing in the number of children with positive cases all along, and they're increasing everywhere. Mississippi didn't spike that much, um, but it's still going up. And it appears to be that it's due to the pandemic, uh, uh, the transmission of coronavirus increasing in the community through the behaviors that increase transmissibility. Uh, uh, breathing the same air as someone else who has a positive test, for instance. 
uh, or congregating or, or being clustered in, in groups where uh, individuals can transmit the virus. In Mississippi, our child cases is higher than national. National average is about 8% of COVID cases are children. In Mississippi, it's over slightly over 10%. And as long as I've been looking at the data, I've been watching that creep. It went from you know, under 8% to 8% to 9%. So we've been watching that slowly creep up. And I think that increase in childhood cases is due to um, really lax measure, people not employing the measures that are necessary to stem or to prevent the transmission of coronavirus. I do want to ask you some questions beyond this report, more generalized questions that I think people are confused about. Right. Are young children less likely to transmit COVID-19? The answer to that is yes, and let's define what a young child is, and I would have to say under 10. Once you hit 10 years of age, uh, you are looking at an individual who will be as likely to transmit coronavirus as an adult. Do we know why kids are less likely to transmit it? So there's a lot of theories on that. One of them has to do with there's a certain protein that lives on the cell of the uh, uh, the membranes of the respiratory tract, such as the nose, called the ACE receptor. Uh, and the numbers of ACE receptors in young children is smaller in terms of the density of receptors in the respiratory tract. So it appears that maybe that they their bodies are less have less point of entry, a fewer points of attack for the virus. Uh, but then again, when you look at the secretions and the nasal mucus of children, you can find as much coronavirus in that those secretions as in uh, an older, and more even than an older person. So it could be that the fewer ACE receptors in the respiratory tract just make them less vulnerable to, and so the illness is milder, and then therefore they're replicating fewer viral particles and then spreading it. It would stand to reason that the younger kids would be least exposed or less exposed to the virus than older kids because older kids are more likely to congregate and be outside the house than the little ones. Is that why we're seeing more cases among those older kids because of they're congregating? Is that one of the problems? I, I have to say that it's more the behaviors rather than is there a physical, biological reason why uh, the, the rate of transmissibility and infection goes down the younger you get. And there's some reason to believe with this ACE receptor I told you about that that may be the case, but I think it has more to do with the fact that the little kids are pretty much staying home and they are not exhibiting the behaviors that promote the spread of coronavirus and teenagers and then the young adults those behaviors increase at the older you get and you see more of the transmission behaviors and that especially in that 18 to 35 year old age range are the majority of children and does this change at specific ages asymptomatic back to the report now what is the takeaway? What what should people be most aware of or concerned about on the national level and in Mississippi? I would say in Mississippi, our, the percentage of cases that are in children under 18 
has been slowly ticking up with every report that's been coming out, and we're watching it, and it's continuing to tick up. We didn't have this big spike that they saw nationwide. Uh, we've had more of a linear increase that we're continuing to watch. The takeaway is this is not going away. We need to exhibit the or start doing the types of things that we've known that we need to do all along in order to reduce transmission, which would be to socially distance six feet apart, uh, sanitize your hands, and wear a mask. And if you do those, and not to gather in large groups, uh, cookouts and uh, block parties or weddings and that sort of thing, we need to um, keep our distance from each other and not breathe the same air as others. And in so doing, we can then turn, turn this around and slow down the transmission. Pediatrician Dr. John Godet, thank you so much for being with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Coming up, President Trump issued a series of executive orders over the weekend, including a payroll tax deferment. But how constitutional are they? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Congress is currently deadlocked in negotiations for a pandemic relief bill. Democrats are reportedly seeking a $3 trillion package, while Republican leaders want to cap the bill at $1 trillion. While talks stall, President Donald Trump is using the power of the executive order to present relief options, including a continuation of the federal unemployment supplement and a payroll tax deferment. Matt Steffi, professor at Mississippi College School of Law, answers the fundamental question, are they constitutional? Yes and no. And I guess the answer is yes for some, no for others, and then some, one of them doesn't really do anything. So he certainly has the authority for that one. I think he does have the authority to continue to postpone collection of student loans and accruing student loan interest. That's probably the one most within his authority, but because it piggybacks on because it's kind of awkwardly uh, piggybacks onto the existing CARES Act, whether implementing it could be a challenge. I want to talk about unemployment because the $600 extra a week that those unemployed were getting uh, has ended. And yes. the executive order that President Trump has signed into effect is $400 more, which sounds pretty good. Except for what? Except for it's really $300 from the federal government and $100 from the states. And that $100 is being... There are many states that may not be able to come up with that $100. To which Trump's response is, we'll use some of the money we've already allocated, but the already allocated money is mostly spent or promised. So some states won't be able to participate because they can't come up with the 25% that's on 
that the state. And it's Secondly, all or nothing, right? It's if the state can't right. come up with it, then the person doesn't get. Then they any. get nothing. Okay. They get zero dollars. Second, that is very awkwardly glommed on to the way unemployment insurance insurance works, and requires uh, the development of an entirely new program, which absolutely won't be uh, ready to roll out for a period of weeks or months. And by the time it does get rolled out in some states, the small amount of money that has been uh, earmarked for it may have already run out. Like Experts agree that there is not enough money to fund this uh, through the end of the year, that it's going to run out in probably six weeks or less. And that's assuming that President Trump has the authority to divert FEMA money which is for, among other things, hurricane relief to this uninsurance, this unemployment insurance benefit. And that's certainly going to get challenged in court. So it is smaller, it is tentative, it is awkward, and it's legally suspect. That I, I will be surprised if, if this year that money gets deployed in any meaningful, gets spent in any meaningful way. Moving on to evictions, which is coming to a head for many people who are about yes. to be kicked out of their homes. Well, this is the executive order that literally does nothing except directs some other people in the government to study and look at it. Uh, and that's one, because most mortgages are owned or backed by the federal government, this is something where the president would have the authority to do something really meaningful and really fast, and he has chosen not to. Instead, he's asked department heads to look into ways of providing relief, which may, may, may or may not come to pass. The payroll tax cut isn't really a cut at all because it just no. defers those taxes until the end of the year. It is somewhere between illusory and cynical if if it's if it goes as written that it's essentially a short-term loan to workers that they will that that they're they, the money to pay these payroll taxes won't be withheld this year but they'll still owe it by April 15th next year and and so that's of dubious value Withholding is complicated for employers and employers who uh, are worried that employees may come and go by the end of the year may not, may not be willing to participate in this rollback of withholding and may just withhold the money anyway. So it may be illusory in the sense that some employers won't reduce the withholding. Those that do are going to have to face the prospect of collecting it from employees uh, before uh, April 15th next year. Uh, and essentially, the wink and the nod is, well, if President Trump's reelected, he'll make sure that these are that these taxes are forgiven, uh, which it would be a fiscal hit to Social Security and Medicare. But but that's a very kind of cynical uh, matter politically. So you think he's using that as a campaign? Uh, There's indication, yes, that 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 his campaign would make sure that these debts are forgiven uh, as, uh, uh, as an inducement to vote for President Trump, and that if 
Joe, uh, uh, Joe Biden wins, well, then it's his problem and his political problem to correct, collect this money, which, I repeat, goes to, directly to Social Security and Medicare to popular programs. Talks broke down rather significantly. I mean, everybody walked away from the table in terms of providing relief. Can Congress address and change this and override his executive orders? What would be the process there? Absolutely. All Congress has to do is pass a law that does what it wants with uh, evictions, does what it wants with evictions that, that uh, for uh, loans that are held by uh, uh, the federal government. Most real estate loans are, in fact, are held by the federal government. They could do that today. They could extend tax relief today. These payroll tax cuts are not especially a popular means of putting money in people's pockets because they take money from what are popular and vital programs. But they could. They could do that. They could do that immediately. Uh, and they could absolutely extend and fund so, uh, additional uninsurance immediately. Um, I think part of the thinking or part of the political uh, rhetoric has been to put pressure on Congress to come up with a deal but whether that works or not is quite uncertain. Matt Steffi is a professor of law at the Mississippi College School of Law. Thank you, Matt, as always. It's my pleasure, Karen. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.